Welcome to the Constructing Greatness Podcast, where I will be sharing real stories with inspiring tradesmen and many other driven and passionate leaders in construction and various other industries. I'm your host, Nicholas Ofak, and I've been in the construction business since 1996 as a construction manager and have worked for some of the largest builders in the United States. I'm now a business owner entrepreneur, and partner in a firm where we've successfully managed to be listed on the Inc. 5000, America's fastest growing private companies three years in a row. The main purpose of this podcast is to inspire and create awareness about the value of working in the trades and to educate about the great benefits and rewarding opportunities it can create. Are you ready to take this fun journey with me? Let's do it. Did you know that you should never use paints or coatings on brick, block, stone, or mortar? It's because it needs to breathe. Instead, you can stain it to any color that you'd like, and yes, even the mortar too. Staining is 100% maintenance-free and permanent, unlike coatings. So why don't more people know about it? We wondered the same thing. MNN Masonry Staining is a South Jersey contractor that has partnered with the oldest brick staining manufacturer in the United States and is certified to use their proprietary products and over 45 years of staining knowledge. MNN is scheduling residential and commercial building estimates now. For more information, call Nick at 856 217 1750. Or follow M&N Masonry Staining on any social media platform. Today's guest is my first one in 2022. He is a very unique one at that. He's the first attorney that's on the show and an attorney that turned entrepreneur. Started and founded his business almost 10 years ago called Procure Links LLC and the FSCMO, which is the Federal Supply Chain Management Organization. He primarily works with Fortune 100 to 500 companies, including the two big four firms. Single client revenues exceeding 14 billion a year. Vast majority of his clients are 1 billion. I haven't had a guest on the show like that. And let me just mention some of the acronyms. Many that most of us have heard, many that we did not hear, but like DOD, DCMA, NSA, NASA, JPL, OIG, CMC, just to name a few. Mark Hijar, welcome to the show. Hello, Nick. How you doing? Good, man. Good to connect with you again. We were supposed to get together a couple years ago, and then uh, COVID happened, so that didn't didn't. didn't I know. Didn't. <laughs> Everything shut down, and yeah, but uh, yeah, now I'm down in Nola, so you got to come down and see me. Oh, that gives me reason to go down there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you were in DC for for what ten plus years? Twenty, okay, yeah, twenty two years. Yeah, that's that's where my my clients ended up being. So um, when I still had to work around them, that was my base. Got it. And we met back at Temple University. You were actually. You want to say how many years ago? You no, I don't. <laughs> it, you were in graduate school, and I was finishing undergrad. And uh, we had mutual friends. Actually, they were brothers, and uh, we connected then, and uh, uh, we had some good times. But 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 you actually were you went to JMU. I had a BA in English, 
And did, did you want to do something different with that English degree? Like, how, how did it start out for you? So I had a couple of different ideas. I was going to be a high school English teacher. And then I realized how much they made. I was like, nah, I won't do that. And then I was going to go to English grad school. I don't know what I was going to do with that, but you have to have like a foreign language proficiency, which I'm too lazy to get. So with the law school. So yeah, I did that. My, my plan actually, you might enjoy this. I was going to actually go back to CC, get my, cause I used to write a lot when I was an undergrad. So I was going to go back to CC. I was going to get, get into the, into the um, roofers union. And then I was going to roof during, during like the nine months, eight to nine months. And then during the winter months, I was going to write. That was my big, my big plan, right? So my mom didn't like that plan. I actually did really, really well in undergrad. I'm just good at school, I guess. And so she made the comment that, well, why don't you, why don't you go to law school? And then if roofing doesn't work out, you can fall back on your law degree. That was a real mom backhanded thing, right? So I was like, all right, mom, fair enough. I'll take the LSAT and all that, right? Yeah, so my mom was in education for 30 years. So she was like, just go get your degree, just go, right? Uh, so I did, and I actually enjoyed it. I actually had a good time, met, met Rich, who was, you know, uh, brothers with, with one of your teammates and friends. And that's how we met, like you said, yeah, Mike. Um, and yeah, so I, we, I met some good people and it's a good progressive school. It's got a lot of, you know, a lot of different things you can study that aren't just, you know, straight corporate law and all that. And, uh, yeah, I really had a good time. It turned out that I was actually kind of decent at it too. So now good stuff. And, and it's interesting you said roofing, cause I had a couple different guests on one was a roofer, actually three different guests who were in roofing, two of them now entrepreneurs into something, something else. And one is, is starting to blow up his, his new roofing business. He left, he left a big roofing company, started his own. Mm-hmm. So, so good stuff. So you, you went to a Beasley school of law at Temple and you, you got your law degree and how quickly did you, did you get into the workforce right after the degree? I mean, I got right into the workforce. I kind of, I graduated in 99. So I kind of jumped into the whole software bubble, did a contract work, like contract administration and legal work for a couple of different software companies until they all either downsized or shut down. And then bounced around kind of quite a bit, did some weird odd jobs. I didn't really know what I, I didn't take the, I didn't actually sit to become an attorney until 2007. So I didn't actually sit for the bar until eight years after I graduated. I was kind of in like a non-fun European finding myself thing. You know, you, you know, some kids like leave school and like go spend a year in Europe or whatever. I didn't, I didn't have much Where did for you that. get licensed at? What state? D.C. D.C. The easiest route possible. Yeah. So because I ended up being a, my, my first job as an actual attorney was corporate counsel for a publicly traded company. So to be corporate counsel... You just have to have the bar. You just have to have a license. You can, you can take it wherever you want. And so DC is the easiest bar you can take because there's no state law. So usually with the bar, you got to do one day of all state law and then one day of what they call the multi-state, which is like, you know, kind of federal law. Well, DC doesn't have any state law. So I didn't have to learn any extra stuff. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Because <laughs> I call myself efficient. I'm actually very lazy, but I'm, 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 I call myself extremely efficient. Uh, you, you certainly are. <laughs> now, good stuff. Appreciate you sharing that. And then you, ITACC? Oh, the ITAC. Yeah. You mentioned the FSCMO. So I've recently admitted that I am an entrepreneur. I never really admitted that before. But then I realized that, like, I started my business in, in 12. And then I started a software development company in 13 that's still up and running. And then in 20... See, I get bored. And then when I get bored, I start new stuff. Um, That's an so, entrepreneur. <laughs> so in 2020, 
I decided that, so there's kind of what you call the kind of unholy triangle in DC and it's, it's lawyer consultant lobbyist, right? That's the unholy triangle. That's like, that's like the scumbag triangle, right? Like if you do all three of those jobs, you're like a DC rat, right? You're like, you're like a swamp rat, right? So I had been a lawyer, I'd been an attorney, I was a consultant and I was like, well, why I might as well do lobbying. Might as well, you know, see what it's like. I never done it before. So um, I actually went to college with a guy who is, has been a lobbyist for, he worked on the Hill and he, he became a lobbyist like 15 years ago and he does a lot of stuff. Um, now, when you say Hill, so to, Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill, right. Capitol Hill. Um, in particular, um, the House Armed Services Committee or HASC and the Senate Armed Services Committee or SASC. So those are the two. What I do, okay, so real quick, what I do now is I work with, and you mentioned this a little bit, I work with federal contractors who are trying to get through a very specific type of, the main thing I do is a very specific type of government auditor review. Kind of like, you know, like in the construction business, you have to get special, you know, you might have to get ISO certified or AS90 or AS, or AS certified, and you might you have some different certifications and things you have to get. And if you, if you lose one or more of those, you lose the ability to do certain types of jobs, right? So it's very much like that in government contracting. There are what the government calls business systems. So there's six of them. And just like accounting, you know, how you build the government, how you maintain government property is one. One is um, how you do earned value management. So, you know, how you get more efficient the longer you do something. There's all of these systems that they evaluate. One of the systems is the purchasing system or how you interact with your supply chain, how you manage them, how you monitor their performance and how you comply with these myriad of federal regulations that apply to everything you do. So we specialize in that part. In that area, it's a fairly rarefied air for that particular system. You have to be doing at least $50 million in federal revenue to even qualify. So most small businesses and a lot of larger, not what we call non-traditional government contractors, ones that don't do a lot of federal work, they don't qualify for that review. So they, aren't, they can't even get on the list, so to speak. Unfortunately for them, a lot of the new prime contracts coming out, a lot of the, the vehicles through which can, the they federal can government gives people money, right? Yeah, they don't qualify yeah. without this review. Mm-hmm. They can't get on. They, they either lose points and they don't qualify or they win and then they get sucked into the review real quick and they don't know what's going on. So usually what happens is they don't qualify. So what I looked at was what can we do to help them get these companies qualified, construction companies who want to come in and start doing stuff with, you know, building COVID test centers and stuff. A lot of these contracts that they're going after, they don't qualify for because they can't. It's not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. So I kind of came up with an idea for kind of a expedited process. There's, there is a system already that has an expedited process where you basically fill out a form, submit it. Agency looks at it and goes, okay, looks good. Start working. And then, then we'll audit your system later. So that's kind of, so there's already a path that, that exists for, that, for certain types of systems. So I said, well, why don't we do this with purchasing? Allow these small businesses to kind of fill out a form, you know, tell them they're ready, and then government trusts them, and they go, because I already do that, right? So I came up with this process, kind of developed it, fit, fleshed it out, talked to my buddy from college, talked about viability, what I needed to be to get in front of these offices and all that. I had been, in the meantime, developing this professional organization idea, kind of this, the FSCMO that you mentioned. I was talking with friends and colleagues, got about 25 kind of industry thought leaders slash performers slash practitioners to agree to be on. You know, people from, what are some companies you would have heard of? Accenture, I think I had one from Deloitte, Intel, 
you know, the boom, 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 had someone from there. So it was a pretty good list, you know, and all great people, obviously. So get them together. We kind of start hashing this out. They're very excited about participating. I have my first meeting with them on February 14th, 2020. And then an hour later, go into DC and have my first meeting with the chief of staff for Adam Smith, who was, who is still, I believe, the, the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. So I met with his chief of staff two hours after I had my first meeting. So that's kind of how we started rolling. I also got started really late, really, really late in the lobbying game. They actually tried to sign the, the NDAA is the National Defense Authorization Act. They have one every year, and that's how DOD gets funded. DOD and NASA get their funding from that. It's the single biggest bill that they sign every year. I think this year it was like 780 billion, I think, something like that, something like that. It'll be 800 in like two years. Funny part, Congress gave them more money than they asked for. So DOD came in and asked them for money. Congress said, nah, here's some more. Anyway, so this is why I like working in defense. So you're supposed to really start lobbying like as soon as the NDAA from last year was signed, you're supposed to start lobbying for the next year. We got started four months before they were going to even like, they're getting ready to sign it. So we were kind of behind the eight ball, but we were able to tell a good story. And, you know, we had an organization behind us and we, I guess, well, we also kind of made it about small businesses, right? Everybody cares about small businesses, all especially representatives on, on the house side, love to be able to go back to their constituents and say, I just signed a bill that gave small businesses more money. They love doing that, right? So we focused on that. We pushed that. We pushed that angle of it. Did a bunch of research and blah, blah, blah. And we actually got somebody to sponsor the amendment. Uh, Paul Cook from California's 8th District, who is now gone. He retired. But, uh, but thank you. Thank you, Mr. Cook. If you're out there, didn't work, but we appreciate it. So we actually got into committee and got the vote, but we didn't get, we didn't get through. We were a little too late, didn't have enough backing behind us. But, hey, you know, I kind of went for broke, too. The House Armed Services Committee offered to do a GAO report, which is usually what they do. So they get the, 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 the government accountability office to come in and run or do a report and say, hey, are small businesses really impacted the way you're saying they are? Is, you know, how is DOD handling? So usually that's what happens, right? So they'll do the GAO report. And then based on that, they'll then start listening to solutions. We kind of pushed them to step over that step, which they didn't want to do. And yeah, so it was kind of my hubris, I guess. I was like, nah, just go for it. Let's just go for it. Screw the GAO report. Let's just do this. And that didn't work out too well for us. So always trust the process is what I would say. But in the meantime, we also got to um, interact with a lot of Senate offices, one of whom was very concerned with cybersecurity. So cybersecurity, huge issue right now out in the commercial world. DOD has been trying to get something together for that for years. They have put something together sort of called CMMC, which is the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. So the idea was they were going to help a nonprofit commercial entity stand up the certification. And then they would accept that certification for cybersecurity readiness. And then that could eventually be rolled out to the commercial world. So it'd be a kind of a commercial standard that can be used and then shipped out. The only problem was the people who were running it, kind of a black box. They weren't really talking much with Congress and they weren't getting a lot of answers. And so one of the Senate offices pictured us as being a small business advocate and asked us if we would get involved in that. Can we get involved and find out more about it? So I kind of like embedded myself in this little growing niche. That was, I sent you that podcast. That was how that came about. So I kind of got embedded a little too successfully. I actually ended up interacting with a bunch of people on the accreditation body, which is the one that was setting up the standard. I met the founder and 
I guess, managing director of, of ITAC, and, which is actually a, a nonprofit that was formed by DOD, and, you know, kind of sanctioned by DOD to do like IT think thing, you know, kind of an IT think tank is kind of what it is. And I actually got on, I was actually a, a director of strategic partnerships there for like two weeks. And basically just kind of really got my fingers in. It became this kind of like little amateur watchdog. I actually, I think I, to, I told you uh, the person on the government side who was heading it up, Katie Arrington, who's a former house rep, she got removed from her position in May. Um, I got interviewed by OIG, the Office of Inspector General, which is like DOD's lawyers. I got interviewed by them in March and April about her. So that's how embedded I got, is that I actually got interviewed by OIG about someone who ended up losing their position. I had nothing to do with it, unfortunately, but I didn't like her. But yeah, that's how embedded I got. I kind of like an Alabama tick. I was like, I was in there. So yeah, so I kind of just, I just kind of just dive into stuff, you know, and just kind of just keep going forward. And if someone says, you want to try this? I'm like, sure. I do stop when I'm unqualified. I was actually offered a couple of working groups that I could have run um, by some of the members of the AB as kind of like a, you kind of like a let's be friends thing. And I was like, nah, you don't want me doing that. Yeah. <laughs> when you sent me over the information about Katie Arrington, I'm like, wow, that, that, that's interesting to be uh, kind of in the middle or the beginning of it or whatever the time frame was exactly. But it was fun. Man, I like OIG. They're fun. I like them. Back to your comment about trust the process. You, you are mm -hmm. a Philly guy, right? So it didn't work well for the Sixers. Mm, yeah, no. Well, I'm still not sure what the process is, to be honest. So maybe it's, maybe it's trust the process when it's formed. Hey, guys, it's Nick. I have a short message from our sponsor, MPC Builders. With well over 40 years of combined construction-related experience in both the residential and commercial markets, MPC Builders services the New Jersey and Philadelphia metro areas. Check out our website at mpcbuilders.net or you can call me directly at 856-217-1750 and I'd be happy to answer any questions you have about your construction project. I'd love for you to talk about the recent occurrence on LinkedIn. Now, LinkedIn is the place that I'm very active on, and Mark is just as active or was just as active. And uh, talk a little bit about what happened there. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So people don't like it when you tell them they're wrong on LinkedIn. They really don't like it. So I mentioned that I got kind of embedded in the cyber world and the DOD cyber world. And... Uh, it, it, it may or may not surprise you that I'm fairly blunt when it comes to stuff and I don't like just to a little around. Yeah. And some people don't really like that, especially on, on posts, you know, it doesn't come across the way I intend sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes, Hey, I'm good with too it. Well. I'm good with it. <laughs> and, um, it's, so it's entertaining. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, uh, so I kind of related to this CMMC thing, huge changes happened in November to it. And when I saw it, I was telling people what it meant, what these changes meant. And it was a huge blow. It's going to be a huge blow to a certain segment of this new ecosystem that's developed. And so basically just real quick, what, 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 what happened was I, I, I mentioned, you know, 2020 DOD was working with this nonprofit. The nonprofit was going to oversee kind of like ISO. There was going to be like an ISO, a company that maintained the certification that then other people respected. That was going to be the idea. They missed their deadline of implementation by more than a year. 
And again, was not talking to Congress and had no answers for when they were going to get started back up, when it was going to happen. So DOD came out in November and without doing it, canceled the whole program, just canceled it, just said, nope, we're done. No more commercial standard. Now, they didn't specifically say it because DOD never specifically says anything. But when I read the press release and I saw what they did and then I saw I was like, oh, so that's dead. So that's dead now. So, well, under this program, much like with ISO, they have they had a set of auditors, right, that, that were going to be installed. They called them C3PAOs. So I don't know. I think it's kind of a veiled Star Wars reference, but it was like a certified third-party audit something, C3PAO. So when the commercial standard was killed, I told everyone as politely as possible, so is the C3PAO program. There is no C3PAO program without the commercial standard doesn't happen. It's not going to work. And there were a lot of people who knew about cyber, but did not understand federal regulations, which happens a lot. So there are a lot of people in my industry, and I'm in a lot of industries, I think, that, that have specific knowledge and expertise that is affected and impacted by laws that they don't understand or control. And so they sometimes walk down this primrose path, not understanding that there's this looming cloud that's going to rain all over them when, when they, when they, when they get to, to the open, like, it's just not going to go. And you keep telling them that, like, no, I don't see why this can't work. You know, well, usually it's like fancier people, you know, like, like architects and in your world, like architects and like um, clients in my world, it's like doctors and professors and sometimes clients as well. Right. People who just want it to happen and don't see why it can't. And then they don't really understand the reasons why it can't even when you explain it to them. And it, it happens, you know, no, no big deal. I wouldn't have a job if everyone could read the regs, right? So no problem. So I explained to people over and over, you know, different ways, you know, here's why it's not going to work. Took them through this whole kind of chart and all this. And some of them started getting really mad. And they really got mad when I started calling out certain sub, certain ones of them in this C3PAO program who were supposed to be advocates and, and activists for the program and all this stuff. And I was like, why aren't you guys doing anything, by the way? You guys are like silent here. What, what are you doing? And they started getting real heated with me. I also kind of reached out to the people on the board of the now kind of useless committee and started kind of poking them a little bit. I actually bet one of those committee members a $10,000 that the CMMCAB, the accreditation body, would be dead by the end of this, by the end of 2021. And so I actually reached out on him on LinkedIn and posted and said, hey, it's a good thing you didn't make that bet, Jeff. Oof, man, it sucks though. I could have used that money. Um, so I was doing stuff like that. You know, I love saying I told you so. And uh, yeah, I started getting, I started getting notices from LinkedIn that I was, I was bullying people. And I was like, okay. I was like, show me the, you know, show me the thing. And, and they, they don't show them they to don't you. Show, they, yeah. don't, they don't show them to you. Right. Yeah, right. So then one of, one of the C3PAOs kind of, I don't know if they let it slip on purpose, but they kind of inferred or implied at one time, at one point when I was going back and forth with them that I was going to like, oh, just watch out watch how you say things. And they were kind of like, you know, it, it might not work out for you the way you think it will. And I'm like, huh, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, no, nothing. Just, you know, I'm just saying, you know, you just got to watch how you phrase things and how you blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, huh, okay. Oh, oh. So this went on, but I didn't deter me, of course. So then all of a sudden I started getting blocked by a bunch of people. And I, if you've never done this, if you do report somebody for something, they then give you the option of blocking them. Right. So it's like you report them, you put in the thing and then, then they say, do you want to block them? And they suggest you block them. Right. So I started to get all these people blocking me and I was like, OK, that's fine. There's, OK. All right. And then after like I noticed like the fourth or fifth person did it, then all of a sudden I tried to log into my thing and I was 
I couldn't get in, right? For the second time in a month, I couldn't get in. And I'm like, huh, okay. I was like, so now do I want to get back on LinkedIn? I was like, eh. So I'm still pending. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. I'm still thinking about so it. So just speaking truth know. and just letting people know, you know, from your experience and your knowledge, they just didn't like it, basically. I would suggest to people on LinkedIn. And also, I'll just say this is a good policy. I will admit that be positive, right? Because people don't like being, even if you're telling someone they're wrong in a positive way, they, I can almost guarantee you 75% chance they're not going to take it in a positive way, Right. People, and you know better than I do, when people post on LinkedIn, they don't post on LinkedIn to be corrected, right? So I have a bad habit of correcting people that say dumb stuff. So that's in my area of expertise, obviously. So I built up a bit of a negative audience, I guess you would call it. And, and, you know, it's my fault. You know, I know, I guess, you know, I I didn't play by the rules. (laughs) Uh, And that's fine. I mean, that's fine. So that's part of what my consideration is of getting back on LinkedIn of whether or not I want to play by the rules. Um, or whether or not I'm just going to feel like a hack. So yeah, I'm kind of thinking about it. I appreciate you sharing it, man. I thought it was uh, oh, yeah. co- comical when oh, you uh, yeah. when you were sharing with me uh, people reporting you. They yeah. got their feelings well, the hurt the, a little bit. The way I've decided to look at it is LinkedIn seems to agree with them. So I must be the one who's not doing it right. And that's okay. It can't be that I'm, I'm doing it right and everyone else is doing it wrong, right? So it's sometimes you just got to admit Maybe I don't want to do it right. And if I don't yeah, want to do it right, their policy is clear. Sure. No, I, I hear you. It's as clear, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're accepting it, it must be clear. I've been broken, I guess. I'm just like, okay, well, I guess if some, telling someone that they're wrong and then explaining regulatorily why they're incorrect is bullying, I don't know what bullying is. I must be a bully, and that's cool. All right. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> it's okay. Well, hey, I want to talk a little bit about some of your, your big changes. You just moved to, to New Orleans. Congrats on that, man. And you got a new house, I saw. Congrats. First time. First time house buyer. Very cool. No, I, I, saw, I, saw, I saw you posting a couple things, and uh, congratulations there. And, and you're recently married too, right? Five years in March. Yep. Good stuff, so man. I didn't, I didn't do that till 43 either, so. <laughs> hey, you found, you, you found the right one. You waited. Right. Let me, let me give some advice to your younger listeners, if I could. When I graduated law school, the smartest thing I did, I was 25 years old. The smartest thing I did was begin my midlife crisis at 25. That's what I did. I did. Begun my midlife crisis. I um, bought a motorcycle, like right out of law school for the first time. Taught myself how to ride, going back and forth to work. Did all kinds of wild dating. Learned Kung Fu. Was actually an assistant instructor for like eight months. What else dumb did I do? All kinds of crap. I just did all kinds of crap and worked in different jobs and yeah. didn't really settle into a career. Yeah. No, I, I love I, that advice. And I didn't get married, didn't have any kids, didn't buy a house, right? Until I hit my 40s. I still don't have any kids. So, like, I don't know. I feel like if it's right, do it. If it's not right, don't do it. Don't, don't settle. Yeah. Mm-mm. And don't do it because you think you're supposed to. Oh, that's the worst reason to do anything. That is the worst. Yep. That's how people don't start businesses. Oh, oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, we can talk about that for a long time. I mean, just, just from the other generations and how you should do things and how you were taught their, you know, the grandparents to, to your parents and things have changed, man. And, and some people don't are afraid, way, afraid of change. They're afraid of change. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people are. Absolutely. We are certainly a minority. Well, shit. I mean, I was afraid too, but, it, but, you know, after, <laughs> After being in the corporate world for 18 years, it's been on my mind for a long time. I just knew it was time. I, if I don't do it now, I may never, and I don't want to have any regrets. That's the worst. 
Yeah, that's kind of what happened to me. So outside of work, what are you passionate about? What do you and your wife like to do for hobbies? Well, right now, I'm very passionate about writing. So that's my big hobby right now. I mean, we moved and we definitely go, like we went and saw the Saints game Sunday. And we're going to see the Pelicans on Thursday. And we love to go out and see, see you know, music and all that. I, I go to concerts. That's probably the biggest thing I miss from pandemic is going to concerts. I, we used to go to concerts all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Um, I remember you and yeah. you were in them. Yeah. Uh, I love going to those things. Um, but well, you, um, you just started writing a book, right? Yeah. I just started writing a book. What's that about? Oh, geez. So the elevator pitch, the 55 word or less pitch is it's game of Thrones meets hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy set in an alternate reality where supercomputers were discovered in the 1860s. And World War II is still being fought 50 years later by werewolves, vampires, zombies, and cyborgs. The, and the end of it is the main characters include a Frankenstein's monster and a vegan crocodile that becomes governor of Florida. So it's kind of a, I've had this idea. So real quick on that, I had this idea, well, 2010, I, had a, I went to high school with this, with, with this person who did some marketing for DC Comics. And they told me that they knew the director of new talent and talked to them about me. I was doing a comic strip that I was posting on Facebook at the time. And they said, uh, oh, he'd love to see your portfolio if you want to show it to him. And I was like, okay. So I locked myself into my apartment for a weekend with various intoxicants and put together this 28-page treatment of this world, this kind of with characters and groups and a name and all this other stuff. And it was about 28 pages of like plot, plot description and all that. And it was this world, kind of the beginnings of this world. Well, it turns out the guy who was a talent acquisition guy was actually, they only, DC only hires artists. They don't hire writers. They have in-house writers. So he was like, well, I can't, do you have anything like drawn you want to show? I was like, no, 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 no. So it kind of sat for a while and I kind of was working on it. I was thinking about maybe hiring some people and making it a comic book my own of my own, but I had this, I've always wanted to be a writer, you know, like I said before, you know, I was going to like be, a, you know, it's going to go back to CC and you know, all that. So I was like, well, maybe I just write into a book. I mean, there's plenty of books out there and there's a lot of not well-written books that do really well. And, you know, I can be one of those. So I kind of started putting together this notebook, 200 full pages of notes. There's a table of contents in the back that says where all the different chapters are. And all that. I spent two months putting that together. And when I was done, I actually had a legit first book as well as ideas for books two and three. Mm-hmm. So now I'm writing. I started Sunday. I write three pages a day. I've got 12 pages done and uh, I'm just going to keep going. And by May, I should have a first draft. And I hope by the end <clears> of the year, I'll have a draft that I can start sending out to agents and see what that happens. So very cool. Oh, yeah. You're, I mean, you're doing something that most, not most, many think about. We'll never, never try to do, never put the time in to do it. You know, and, and I'm sure you thought about it for a while, but now you're doing it. And I, I think that's awesome. Well, um, here's the thing, too, is that I've never wanted to write like a memoir or any kind of personal anything. I just think those are, you know, no offense to anyone who does that. But I'm like, you know, unless it's super well written, no one's going to want to read it. You know what I mean? So unless you think you're like the next William Faulkner, I would not write a personal memoir and try to publish it. Do you know what I mean? Like, or unless you're super famous, you know, so you know, totally. and there's plenty of those. Yeah. And there's plenty of those, right? And no one wants to hear about my crap, right? So 
I needed an idea. And this was the one, this one kind of took off what I call the, the Mark subconscious brain or the MSB just kind of took over and just started developing it. I woke up this morning. It only took me like an hour and a half to write three pages to four and a half pages today, because I woke up this morning with the idea for the next section. I had the character name. I had the, the little, the little plot story about what he, you know, who he is. He's, he's a security guard outside. who doesn't even matter, but I just kind of having a good time with it. I'm just developing a world. Well, your creative mind's coming out now again, you know, it, it, that, that, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that, I totally get it, man. I mean, this, this podcast is that kind of an outlet, f- you know, for me too, but, but, but you are definitely a writer. Some of the books that I've seen you write on uh, your responses on LinkedIn, very, 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 very good writer. <laughs> well, I mean, I was a, I mean, I studied rhetoric when I was in school and I did a lot of creative writing when I was an undergrad. So that was a thing. Like I, I did literature, but I mean, that was easy. Like I actually focused on creative writing and rhetoric. So that's what I studied. And so that really comes in handy. I mean, just, you know, just knowing how to use the language and knowing, you know, when to use alliteration, when to use ellipses, when to use, you know, different, you know, different types of, of rhetorical styles. It really helps convey the message and what you're trying to say. And, and it, it helps you, I can organize my thoughts better on paper than I can in my head sometimes. Cause yeah. So, and then law school helped kind of make me more of a results driven writer, you know? So that kind of professional background helps me at work. And then I can kind of mix the two sometimes and kind of make something that's easier to read, but also hopefully dense with information. So. Have you ever read building a story brand by Donald Miller? No, I have not. He's he's a New York Times bestseller author. Check it out. I mean, just just in terms of how creating a story and your message, no matter what your message is, your message, your brand for your company, your message, if you're writing something, just how you, you know, it's just very, very interesting. And I'm, I'm actually going through it a second time right now. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I think as you get older, you're, you're reading more nonfiction. So I've been reading a lot more. I've been reading a lot more nonfiction. The last two books I read were um, Narconomics. Which, which is pretty good. That's about, this is a uh, guy who writes for The Economist who actually studied the narco trade via economic lenses. So he talks about brand building and he talks about MS-13. He talks about packaging and, and supply and demand. All this, he has a different chapter on all these economic principles and then he examines it via the lens of the narcos trade. It's really interesting. And then there's, there's other, yeah, it's cool. And then this other book I'm rereading or was rereading is called The Fabric of Reality, which is uh, written by... Um, David Deutsch, and it's about the theory of everything. So they're trying to create this unified theory of science. His, his theory is that it's going to include evolution, computation, quantum theory, and epistemology. That's right. So these four disciplines are going to form the, the theory of everything that's going to cover more stuff. It's a very interesting book. And actually, some of the ideas for the book that I'm writing, I got from... So I'm trying to write... It's kind of a science fiction book, but it's kind of it's more fiction than fantasy. So it's really based on actual scientific things that could happen, but we don't quite have the technology to make them happen yet. So that's why I kind of set this book in a world where we got supercomputers a hundred years early. So basically this world is a hundred years advanced from us technology wise. So it allows for some more kind of things to play with, but still kind of in this, it's also kind of like an, an office workplace comedy in a lot of ways it's really yeah you're gonna it's it's either going to be a really interesting book that people are going to dig or it's going to be an absolute mess that no one cares for it's going to be one of those two things i think this well i'm excited for you i'm excited for you and uh, i'll be one of your first buyers i i will absolutely give it a read man i'll give you i'll just give you a copy for sure 
let's just wrap up with this and kind of piggyback what you were trying to give advice to the younger listeners, which is a big part of what this podcast is for. And just trying to give people, educate them about the, uh, you know, opportunities that exist out there in construction, in entrepreneurship, you know, different paths where, where the college pass is not always, you know, the one. And, and just, just piggyback what you said. So if someone in, your profession, attorney, and doesn't like what they're doing anymore, or someone that doesn't know if they want to go to college. What's your advice? You kind of gave some advice, but just to piggyback that on on what to do to find, you know, what what you're what you're good at, what you're passionate at, what you love. All right. So layered advice. I'm gonna lay it out a little bit for you. So I do have theories about all of this. So first theory is when people say do what you love, they don't mean eating potato chips and watching Netflix. That's not what they mean. They mean do what you're good at and do what you enjoy doing. And that's a conceptual idea. So if you, like to, if you don't like to read, don't be a lawyer, right? If you don't like working with your hands, don't be a mechanic, don't be a doctor, right? Don't do things that you, don't, you know you're not going to like. So once you, once you do decide what you like, whether it's writing or working with your hands or whatever it is, find the professions where those skills are paramount, right? So if you like to read, Maybe don't go into construction, right? But if you like working with your hands, don't be a college professor, right? So you got to, you know, start moving things down, right? Now, once you kind of find out what you think you want to do, or you have some options of what is available to you, know that you're going to have to start at the bottom, right? No one starts at the middle. doesn't matter who you are, right? Even lawyers, when they become first-year associates, they get all the crap work, they work all the long hours, and they get the worst pay in the place, right? That's just how it happens, right? doesn't matter how many degrees you have, you're always going to start at the bottom. So... Now, that doesn't mean you have to stay at the bottom. So now here's my key for moving up in a corporate environment. Okay. So what I did when I started in government contracting, I started as a contract administrator, which is kind of the, the lowest level of kind of contract management. You know, you, it's your entry-level job. Within four years, I was corporate counsel. Okay. How I did that, and here's how I did it. And I do this at all my jobs. You've heard the Spider-Man saying, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Now, the flip side of that's also true. With great responsibility comes power. What I mean by that is, what I did as a low-level employee, every time I was a low-level employee, I looked for tasks that were essential, that were important, but that were not sexy, right? No one else wanted. sexy, I mean, nobody wants to do it. Mm -hmm. Right, no one wants to do it. There's no spotlight. You don't get kudos for it. You don't get raises for it. It's just there and you have to do it. And it's you raise your value. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just a mundane task that someone's got to do. Right. Doesn't mean you should. And, and what I did is the ones that were within my wheelhouses, like the ones that were within my skill set, the ones that were within my patience level, the ones that were within my general interest level, I would absorb. Okay. I'll do that. Give me that. Give me that. That's how I picked up CPSRs. The, the, the review that I do now for a living. That's how I picked it up. I was counsel. No one wanted to do it. And so I was like, I'll take it over. It's fine. By penalty of being fired if we failed, I found out later. But I volunteered and took it over. And the reason why I did that is because the more responsibility you have, the more power you have. Right? Once you become the sole responsibility for a task, then people have to defer to you when that task needs to be done or something needs to be done to complete the task. Also, if they need something that involves that task, they have to come to you. Right. So if you start, if you start compiling enough of these mundane tasks, 
and you start to you start to coalesce them into a into an identifiable glob of something, you can start writing your own ticket in a lot of ways. You can start negotiating in a different way. They can't lose you quite as easy, right? They you they sometimes you you can't be laid off because you do too many jobs, right? It's inefficient to lay you off because they'd have to hire four people to replace you. Right. And so two things happened, two things happened right before I left corporate counsel to go into consulting, um, which is the sleep stone I did before I started my own business. Um, I had a meeting with my, with my boss who was general counsel. And he said, we have to split your roles, right? Cause at, at the time I was director of compliance and I was corporate counsel. And he said, we, we can't have you doing both. If you get hit by a bus, too much stuff goes away. So you have to pick one. You can either be VP of compliance or you can be assistant or associate general counsel. So that was the first thing that happened. He's like, we got to split you up. You got to pick one. Two or three months later, we got bought. And I was like, okay, so I better get out of here. Um, so I left. But when I left, and I didn't know this at the time, but the CEO of the company wanted to keep me. And my boss at the time had a policy of no counteroffers, which I think is a good policy, right? If he wants to leave, let him leave. Because there's a whole lot of reasons not to accept counteroffers. I'm getting all, into all of them. But my boss was like, no counteroffers whatsoever. But what happened is two weeks after I left, he called me and he said, um, can, we, can we meet up and get drinks? I need to talk to you about a couple of things. I'm like, all right. So I went to a bar by, the, by work. And he comes in with this big, like, two-page list of stuff. And I'm like, I don't work for you anymore, Scott. What is this? And he goes, well, no, this is all the stuff that people keep calling me about that you were doing. He's like, can you look at this and even tell me if you were doing this? I don't even, I don't even recognize this stuff. And he was like mad at me. He was just like, what, what is this? And so I look, I'm like, no, no, yep, mm-hmm, yeah, no, I was doing all that. And he was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Uh, hire somebody, hire somebody else. I can't hire one person to do all that. I, I don't know what to tell you. But that was what happens, right? Like, you know, that's the best way to embed in my, in my, in my way is you can be a superstar, but there's always going to be another superstar. And there's always going to be people gunning for your job. When you've got jobs no one else wants to do, no one's gunning for your job. As a matter of fact, people don't want you to leave because they're like, I don't want to do that crap. Because if he leaves, and I, used to, I did that sometimes with like executives who would kind of threaten me. I'm like, I mean, you can try to get me fired, but then you're going to have to do this stuff. Your people are going to have to do it. I mean, you could, do you want to do that? Oh, I didn't think of it that way. I know. I know. I, you wouldn't be threatening me if you really thought about it. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to keep you out of trouble, sir. Usually it was always guys. Um, so yeah, so that was my secret was um, be patient. You always got to do shit work anyway, pardon my language. So pick your tasks that, that are unpleasant, relatively speaking, and amass them. And if you do that, you will become way more valuable than your job title. And that was how I went from contract administrator to corporate counsel, which is a huge jump in the span of three years, because I was able to amass so many of those tasks and so many of those responsibilities that eventually when we got a general counsel, he was like, Hey, I need another lawyer. You're already doing lawyer work. Why don't you just pass the bar and I'll make you counsel. And I was like, okay, sure. Sounds good. That's how I became counsel. And that's a job that a lot of people want and that I didn't even know that I wanted, but then my boss kind of made it. So I had to take it. So I was, cause he said, I'm not gonna get any more promotions or raises unless I become counsel. He didn't like to interview people. So I was like, all right. So that's what happened. So I got a job that, that lawyers would kill for just because I, and I, I spent a lot less hours doing it too. Do you know what I mean? Like I wasn't some, I wasn't some associate working 120 hours a week. I was working 35, 40. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. 
I had I had someone working for me doing a lot of the work. I, I, it was right, right. Yeah. So there are a lot of different routes to get where you want to get. Um, I think that the routes that are most likely to get you where you want to get are perseverance, hard work, and patience. I think those three things. If and patience and perseverance aren't the same thing. Patience, I'm talking about daily, like being patient with the grind, being patient with people saying dumb stuff to you, being patient with the time it takes to get where you want to get. And then the perseverance is that drive that keeps you moving forward that says, I'm going to take that next task on. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to keep, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And then just that dedication to, to getting it done. And what I found a lot was that when you execute any task with a high level of dedication, skill, and care, people appreciate it, you know, not always, but you know, you, you know how it is like, you know, something that, you know, things that you guys take for granted, sometimes people blow people away, you know, and you never know what that's going to be, you know? So I think we all focus on the big, the big ticket stuff and we, we kind of push the other stuff to the side, but it's all important, you know? And a lot of times the little stuff is what gets noticed a lot of times. So I don't know. I kind of, I, I kind of took a chance, I guess, by, by not going the usual route. But the usual route was so clogged. There were so many people trying to go that route. My route, there was no one going my route. Nobody was trying to do what I was doing. So I was like, okay, well, I mean, you know, if this doesn't go well, I've got no competition. <laughs> like, it ain't no big deal. That's the other thing about volunteer tasks. You can stop doing them too, usually. You're like, hey, I don't want to do that anymore. I mean, it's not part of my job title. I, I, it's, it, it's, it's cutting down on my productivity. I don't have, I need a raise. I need an assistant or I need to stop doing the task. You can also do that if you don't. See, I mean, there's a lot of, ways to work that kind of angle and that's why i found to be i don't mind negotiating with people i don't mind talking to people i don't mind telling them what i think and i don't mind coming in and telling the truth so as long as you don't mind you know being up front with people and being direct and all that it's it can be a good route to go so i don't know that would be my advice that's how i did it and you know it seemed to work out pretty well great share man well i want to say i appreciate you for uh, taking the time today. And, and if anyone wants to get a hold of you, your company, for any reason, do you want to you share your, your website, your contact information? Sure. Yeah. Website is ProcureLinks, P-R-O-C-U-R-E-L-I-N-X.com. And you can reach me at Mark at ProcureLinks.com. It's easy. Good stuff, brother. Hey, we have right. to we have to find time to uh, to catch up after all this madness. Cheap flights down to Nola, man. Cheap flights. Cheap flights. Round trip from DC was like two hundred bucks. Have you been there before you moved? Oh yeah, we go like once a year. Yeah, we go like once a year. Uh, we actually came down here for Halloween and decided we wanted to move down here full time. We didn't start looking for a house till like middle of November, and we closed on the twenty second of December, and then we moved down here last Tuesday. So this all happened in the last month and a half. Everything, I mean, even just ours, just looking for houses started a month and a half ago. And now we're living in one. So love it, man. Yeah. Well, thanks again, brother. And uh, I hope to catch up with you again soon. Yeah, man. We got to do that for real. Let's do it. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Bye. See you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Constructing Greatness podcast. If you enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at nicholasofac at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.